the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, we have a great opportunity. In a few moments, we will talk with Todd Benzman, our old friend Todd Benzman, about the border. There's new numbers out, new numbers on the border excuse me, new numbers for border crossings, and also a very important distinction he will make. Uh, this is the last month that we will actually get. This is December of 2022 is the numbers that came out just a few days ago. This is the last set of numbers that will be accurate. After this, we'll be getting only the numbers uh, from the Biden administration after they've been, uh, how to say, um, the, the, the books have been cooked. That's how they say it. So we'll see about that and uh, we will visit with him and we'll catch up with our old friend Ted Malik. We haven't talked to Ted Malik in about two weeks. He's got two pieces out, one on Elon Musk and uh, the monetization of Twitter uh, from the perspective of a businessman, uh, uh, Ted Malik, and also uh, a, a piece on what makes America great, which is fashioned from a speech he gave down in West Palm Beach in Florida. So we'll talk with both of those coming up in a few moments. First, what you need to know, uh, I was talking a lot last week, and happily so, about the upcoming March for Life, which took place on Friday. I was very pleased to be there. Uh, my family, except for my daughter, who's away at college, uh, my sons and my other daughter, my wife and I all went down. We actually uh, usually go to the march towards the Supreme Court. We don't go all the way down to the mall. Sometimes we go to the mall uh, to the rally and come back. But a lot of times, Folks are gathering at the uh, headquarters of the Phyllis Schlafly Center in the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles in our Washington, D.C. office, which is up kind of behind the Supreme Court. And so uh, we did that again this time. My family and I, uh, we walked down to the Supreme Court and this time it was a different route. Uh, it came across the front of the Capitol and up uh, the side by the House and then across in front of the Library of Congress to the Supreme Court. Uh, here's the thing. It, it felt like a good sized crowd. I don't know if it was a record crowd. I don't think it was, but it was a good sized crowd, but it was also a crowd that was heavy, that was a lot younger. And, and my speculation, which is not based on anything just but instinct and some ideas is there were a lot, there were a lot more young people by percentage than before, in part because since it was the first March since Roe v. Wade was reversed, I think less people came sort of from out of town and other places. And you know who likes a good road trip to the Capitol? A bunch of young people. Liberty University had a massive number of kids. They were the ones that were bearing the uh, banner uh, at the front of the march. And uh, lots of students from nearby high schools and uh, a lot of colleges, Notre Dame University, Franciscan of Steubenville, all coming in on buses. And it was, it was great. It was a great march. Here's what you need to know, though. Uh, one thing I heard over and over again, I heard it on Friday at the march, I heard it on Saturday at some other events, was that there was a glaring omission, a glaring omission in the program uh, and the, pr the official program of the march, which went on for about an hour and a half. 
uh, on the mall. And again, I didn't see it. I wasn't there. I watched a lot of it on TV. It was uh, broadcast on uh, on cable. Uh, but people said it was a glaring omission. And the omission was this. There was not a concerted effort to acknowledge and thank uh, President Donald Trump. Now, here's how I think about this. And I, I, I do happen to know from some inside scoop that there were people that did not, um, they didn't want to show a video from President Trump that he, he prepared for the event. But here's the thing. This is the first March for Life since Roe v. Wade was reversed. And while it is worthy of some thanks to the uh, Republican Senate, they certainly deserve some thanks for confirming good judges and good justices. There is one man who in the recent, you know, five to 10 years is the responsible one for this reversal. And that's Donald Trump. And I would even go further. I would say that his appointments to the Supreme Court were obviously singularly important. But one more thing, when they wanted to sink Kavanaugh, which they wanted to do, the media, and in fact, they're trying over the last uh, four days, there was a, um, a documentary uh, released at one of these film festivals, I think it was might have even been at Sundance, and it was all about Kavanaugh, and it was a secretly prepared hit documentary, hit piece, you know, meant to be damaging against Kavanaugh. And here's the reality: when Kavanaugh was getting a lot of grief, and there was not one but two. Remember, there was two allegations that he had done something terribly wrong. Michael Avenatti, who's now in jail, was one of the people who was managing that. And then uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford came forward and claimed something. There were lots of people who in the world of politics, in the world of, uh, of the, uh, of the, of the short term political players that wanted to quit on Kavanaugh. They were actually advising Donald Trump to dump Kavanaugh. They were saying, you know, you can, you can, you know, don't, don't worry. Don't go to the mat for a guy that's got baggage. Just dump him. This is the same thing that happened to Clarence Thomas. There were people that tried to get the president, President Bush, the first to quit on, on Clarence Thomas. Uh, but Donald Trump refused any and all efforts to try to uh, back off of Kavanaugh. And, you know, uh, my point is only that maybe, I don't know, maybe you could get as, as good a, a justice as Kavanaugh if, if he had been knocked out. But uh, mostly what happens is once you start to retreat, you start to have to cut deals. And so once you're cutting deals, you're getting somebody who's not as strong. I think that's what would have happened. That feels to me like the most likely scenario. So what you need to know is it was a mistake that at the March for Life, they didn't celebrate Donald Trump. Here's how this works. Here's the practical politics, the practical PR of it. If the celebration of the March for Life included a a recognizable and significant effort to thank Donald Trump. Would there have been uh, people who were supporting other uh, folks, DeSantis or others, running for president that didn't like it? Maybe. But what it would have solidified was that the DeSantis candidates, uh, anybody else, DeSantis or other candidates, they would have to make sure that they pay attention to the March for Life because the March for Life would be showing itself as credible, as serious, as not so much loyal as understanding that when someone goes to bat for you, you uh, deliver on it. I, it was a huge mistake for whoever was planning the March for Life to be either forgetful, and I don't think that's possible, 
about Don- uh, Donald Trump, or more likely calculating, thinking that you're being smart by, I don't know, not praising Trump because there may be opponents to him in the primary. Big mistake. Big mistake. And not accurate, by the way. It's just not accurate to, uh, to, 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 it's not accurate. It is inaccurate. It is not appropriate to skip a big thank you for Trump. He deserved that. He deserved it. It was a mistake not to get it. We should thank Donald Trump forever for what he did. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Ted Malik and then a uh, interview with Todd Benzman. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Time to check in with Ted Malik. As uh, all of our listeners know that are, are, are paying attention, Ted Malik, who's a very frequent guest now, regular contributor. Of course, he's a best-selling author. He's a businessman. He's been a professor all the world over. A Sherpa, a, a globalist Sherpa. I don't know if that's right. Da- at Davos. He's written a book on Davos. It's, uh, he's been all over the place. Well, of course, he writes a column at American Greatness, and he decided to go all the way. Why not? You're Ted Malik. Your name is Theodore Roosevelt Malik. Why not? He decided to give Elon Musk business advice. So welcome back, Ted. And uh, first of all, how was your column, which is entitled uh, The Future of Monetizing Social Media, Twitter has the potential to become a world leader, etc., um, received? Did you hear from Musk? Did you hear from many people on Twitter? What what happened with this? It's pretty good, uh, but it's also fun that you took it on. So, once like correction, you call me a globalist Sherpa. <laughs> I would have to take umbrage at that. I am an arch anti-globalist Sherpa. So, one self-correction. Okay. Uh, yeah, Twitter is very fascinated by my um, astute business advice. And um, I don't know how much I should say. Uh, there are some conversations that will be taking place. I think we all, you know, conservatives, particular uh, um, people who believe in, you know, liberal values. I mean that with a small L, uh, freedom of expression, are very thankful that Elon Musk used his forty-four billion in pocket change to buy Twitter, um, which is an important social media company, and uh, they've obviously now dumped a lot of files showing what we all suspected. It's even worse than we suspected. Right. So the question is, what will Twitter look like in the future? And aside from just taking ad money, which is, you know, sort of one half of the ledger, how are they going to make money? That was yeah. the question. So um, um, we're talking with Ted Malik. Uh, by the way, let me say uh, opening because it's good. It's good writing and, and it's so true. Um, uh, very opening. This is Elon Musk is brilliant. We all know that much. And then you say he's a wor- true world class entrepreneur. He's a wicked sense of humor. Foremost African-American. So funny because he was born in South Africa and is, is as close to a First Amendment absolutist as they come. I think that's the line that I uh, jumped at me because he's nobody's going to be perfect running a, a business and running. A, he's as good as it gets. I mean, he, and I don't think he's really he, well, he's certainly not socially conservative. He, I think he'd probably describe himself no. as libertarian or, or yeah. something like that. But but I mean, that's about right. He's about as good as you can imagine. He's willing to let the fray fray a bit, right? Yes. Uh, and look what's happened already. I mean, there are what I think it's like about 400 million close to 500 million Twitter users in the world. So it's a significant number. 
um, I think about 40 million in the U.S. I mean, the biggest user used to be, uh, you know, Trump himself. So it, it is a platform. The question is, you know, what will its future look like? And I had some ideas about that. So I shared them and, uh, uh, hopefully he'll take up this, uh, this cause. The word monetization usually gets business people's attention. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, uh, what's your, uh, with, uh, so I, I'm going to want to go, I want to go into the other column you have, uh, uh today and I don't want to run out of time, but, yeah. um, but, but I, I, I want to say on, on Twitter, um, do you, part of, so part of what surprised me, my daughter came home from college and, and she's a, a freshman in college and she doesn't use Twitter at all. And, and, and of course, I don't, I think of Facebook as old people. Is mm. Twitter actually sort of just the insider's place? Is that one of the problems that it's really kind of a journalist, lazy journalists and insiders more than it is anything else? Yeah, I think if you look at the demographics, uh, you know, on Twitter, it, 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 you know, it might be that kind of insider case. Um, I mean, the, the numbers are pretty large, so it crosses categories. I think uh, a lot of people look at it to see what's trending, you know, what the elites are talking about, what's in, right. what brand is up, what brand is down. And politically, I think, you know, then it's, of course, very interesting because uh, you could use algorithmic uh, AI to then test certain questions about yeah. what issues, you know, are hot right. buttons. Right. In any political campaign, how do you message against certain things or for certain candidates? There's a lot that can be done around that. And there are companies, frankly, emerging that are trying to do some of that. One more question. Um, Donald Trump is back on Twitter. He had been thrown off back on Twitter, but not tweeting. Just, yeah. you know, you're you're a, a guy who knows Trump pretty well, too, and observed it. Will Trump go back on Twitter? He's got a competitor, his own truth social in a way. Do you think he'll end up back on Twitter? Well, that's the problem. True social is fine. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't do any of these things. So, but who might ask? But uh, yeah, when you're talking to a very, very small audience of already convinced people, that you know, that is one benefit. If you're talking to the whole world on a, a number, or frankly, across platforms, uh, I, I think you can stage a you know a political comeback, and that's in fact what he'll have to do as he uh, runs his campaign. And I think he goes full force later uh, in this year. All right. Uh, on to the, oh, the column that I, I mean, I enjoy you taking on Twitter and talking about it, but I, this one is, in my mind, is up to the Ted Malik uh, sweet spot right now. What makes America so great? Um, a lengthy piece on this. First of all, why'd you write this one, Ted? I mean, you, you, you spent a lot of your time talking about, um, uh, about, um, uh, this, these issues and all. I mean, what made you, I guess this was a speech you delivered, uh, earlier yes. this month. So, so you hit it. Yeah, yeah. You hit it on the head. I was invited by the Palm Beach Republican Club, hmm. a okay. very prestigious group to speak to about 250 of their members. Uh, about a week and a half ago now in Palm Beach. And uh, they said, what do you want to talk about? I said, well, what about the core subject? What makes America so great? They said, we love it. I was invited by uh, Ambassador Javits. Um, Gay Gaines was my host. She's the president. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, the biggest supporter of of Ron DeSantis. Uh, And um, I got a standing ovation. So even with people who... I would say generally are, um, you know, persuaded by this message. They like the the whole context. I All tried right. to put the whole package together. All right. So um, it's uh, 
it, walk us through it. I mean, uh, by the way, and whenever you can quote uh, Howard Zinn early on, um, you know, you set up a good. Uh, uh, you got John Winthrop, John John Winthrop, and, and Howard Zinn in the first three paragraphs. So you like my quotation? I think my favorite quotation. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're going to say. Was David Letterman? I, I knew what you're going to say. Well, why don't you read them that? Then? That's a good one. <laughs> Letterman said. Letterman once said, "Quote: There's no business like show business, but there are several businesses like accounting." <laughs> I think that's pretty good. And then I went on to say, "Well, I'll paraphrase that." There's. Yep. No nation like America, but there are several like Tajikistan. <laughs> it's true. All right. So, so, um, but how about this one? You lay this out and it's America's greatness and uniqueness. Um, mm-hmm. it's founding, but is it, um, I mean, why does it go on forever? That's one thing that people always say, you know, it doesn't have to go on forever, right? No, no. I mean, if you believe in decline of nations, so uh, we could uh, obviously have some kind of uh, a circuit where they go up and down, and there's no reason why America will be there forever. I mean, I'm prayerful that it is, and maybe it's God's intention that it is. I just care that it's there for, you know, my lifetime and my kids' lifetimes and probably my grandchildren's. But... Um, well, here's a, here's the America. One America is in decay. So I mean, you know, yeah. the, the counter argument here, you could give a second speech, and there's a good new book by that topic by Chris Busick, basically arguing that you know if if we want to restore America's greatness, you know, the Trumpian kind of theme, if we want to uh, uh, live in that same vein, then we're going to have to fix this decay. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Ted Malik. His pieces over to American greatness. Um, here's the here's the paragraph that to me is at the heart of the problem. Um, uh, the economics of the American founding uh, was very much a Lockean affair. The protection of property rights in what was quote the largest contiguous area of free trade in the world end quote. But you recall there were two competing views of the American's economy: a Southern agrarian view championed by Jefferson, a Northern industrial commercial view championed by Hamilton. Now. Putting aside the competing views, although they matter, the, the, the beginning of that is what I mean. The protection of property rights. There was a rule of law that was um, was withheld, upheld by the Constitution and the shared values. The problem is if there's not the shared values, the system gets more and more rigged. We know the system was rigged always. There's always cheaters. But the system was unable to be rigged sort of um, in the way other uh, systems were rigged. You know, our, the American economic system wasn't able. There was, You point out there was no the feudalism didn't exist here. I mean, there wasn't this. So it, but it feels like the system is more and more rigged. Uh, yeah, well, I, I write about this theme constantly, so uh, right. I, I feel right. the same way. And, and it just leads us to say, well, this is not what our founders intended. This is not what the Constitution is about, it's not the rule of law. It's not the free economic system that we want. So we really have to restore much of this. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's broken and gone forever, uh, but we have to, well, we have to remember, first of all, Actually, one of the compliments was paid to me by uh, someone who heard this speech was, we really need to teach this again in civics classes, in high schools and grade schools, even to adults. We don't do that anymore. So how can we expect our population to have these values if we don't even teach them? 
Right. Uh, well, and that, and that, that, and that's what I would say. I, I was uh, explaining to my kids, my kids, um, my, I said, drive my sons to school. And I was saying, for me, I said the Pledge of Allegiance every day in my life until I was about 18. I don't, yeah. and, 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 and you could say, well, that was brainwashing. Well, it was brainwashing in the right direction, right? Yeah. In the direction of the values. It's like saying when you're a, a 10 year old boy, you're told to say your prayers or read the Bible out loud. You may not be getting it, but you're getting the, the, the sort of echo and we're living in a culture now and with these put pull these two together your previous uh, piece on uh, on twitter we're putting uh, we're, uh, social media tiktok and others are just drowning our lives with something that's directionally not towards these values well i mean you could say good things on twitter so that that is objectively possible right. I, I think this question of habituation the way you 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 know you raise it yourself uh you know, we were in the scouts. You know, you know I went right, to church right. three times on Sunday. Once wasn't enough. Uh, right. <laughs> right. In my Protestant sect, we had a group called the Jet Cadets, which was a, basically an anti-communist club. Right. Uh, uh, you know, we, we really need to inculcate these values. As Sam Huntington said, you know, very rightly in Who Are We? His telltale piece about America. Uh, we have to have a creed and a culture. And America is based on a creed and a culture. Uh, and we know what our creed is, and we're just talking about those founding documents, but our culture is absolutely critical. How are we going to maintain that culture? Yeah. All right. Ted Malik, as always, thank you for your part in maintaining that culture and, or, and fighting for it and especially describing where we are. I uh, appreciate it very much. We'll talk. Oh, what's coming next? What's coming next? Is it usually oh, the pre- next? The next yes, one please. is already ready to go. Uh-huh. And it, it's uh, a <laughs> bit challenging. It's the title of it is "Who Can You Trust?" Wow! So no, it's I, all about trust mm, well, and the lack thereof. Okay. Well, I've been using on the air distrust and verify my version of of right. Reagan's uh, uh, phrase. Uh, so there you go. We'll look forward to it. All right. Thank you, Ted. As always, Ted Malik. Everybody over to American Greatness. These two pieces I'll put up on social media, and we'll look forward to that one next week. Thank you, Ted. All right, we will take a break, and we will be right back. Don't forget, if you look on my social media feed, you will find uh, all of uh, Ted Malik's uh, writings there. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Todd Benzman down at the near the border. He's down in Texas. He is the uh, National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, he is at ToddBenzman.com. His newest uh, book is coming out in a few weeks. So uh, welcome back, Todd. I saw I got forwarded, I think maybe you sent it to me actually, a uh, piece that was running over in the Daily Mail. Uh, but tell me the numbers are out. There's new numbers out. So uh, give us an update on things at the border, all things at the border. That should be a, you should do a segment called that. Go ahead. That's right. Well, the December numbers were released finally, and they were the uh, a new record setting, you know, record breaking number and a stair stepping escalation for two years straight of new records being broken. Uh, 250,000 encounters at the southern border in that one month, a quarter of a million people. Uh, that that would include uh, about two hundred and twenty one thousand between the ports of entry crossing between and then about thirty thousand at the ports of entry 
uh, for a total of 250,000, which breaks any record that's ever been on, on the U S books with that. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely pushing, uh, you know, straight through the ionosphere on the Biden border crisis here still going on. Uh, but you were we were talking off the air as we're getting ready for this interview. And um, the, the reality is it's the last time you're going to see those numbers. Right. Um, you're going to see the numbers dramatically change. It's not based on who's coming across. It's based on how they're coming across. Is that a fair assessment? That's right. So the, there's a, a huge change in policy at the border that, uh, in my opinion, is designed to hide the ball to. Uh, remove from public view things like El Paso in the last for the last month or two and El Rio migrant camps under the bridge and southern Texas kind of um, political optics. And that is that they are now rechanneling the vast majority of border crossers, the biggest numbers of nationalities uh, to uh, through a line inside Mexico that pre-legalizes them in fairly short order and they can cross through a port of entry under something called humanitarian parole that is fully underway and that means that you won't see those people show up in these statistics anymore Hmm. Uh, illegal apprehension statistics should fall sharply uh, this time next month we should be seeing you know trump era numbers and we should also see the Biden administration and their political appointees boasting about this as real border enforcement progress, that they have their policies have gotten everything under control down there. What they won't tell you, though, is that just as many people that they stopped from coming illegally over will just be coming over anyway through the port of entry. They're all still getting in. Uh, the country will still be suffering a massive onslaught of uh, foreign national humanity, but just crossing through a different way and being counted in a different way. American cities uh, will still be declaring disasters and demanding federal bailouts, and the country will still be receiving millions and millions of more people over the next two years through this, this new way that they've devised under humanitarian uh, parole. Don't uh, be fooled is what I'm trying to tell yeah, you. Yeah, well, and and, and uh, so, and by the way, Todd Bensman is our guest. Uh, his book is called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Um, and uh, out in just a few weeks, uh, about a month from now, February 21st, Post Hill Press, um, and pre-ordered anywhere you get books. Um, Todd, uh, well, a guy like you can do it, I guess, um, maybe, but maybe you're going to have to sort of you know, point into the dark and guess it, it meaning can, can someone create those numbers? Can someone tell us, will, will the Biden administration be forced to report to someone? And could it be that it's Congress that the the house that has to demand say, well, wait a second, if you're changing, this is maybe a good um, uh, task. If you're going to change the way you report because you've adjusted the system to allow these people to get into a different part of the system, right? That I, I think I'm characterizing it right. Can, will you be able That's to put right. it together? Will you be able to put it together when, when they release the numbers? 
numbers. Uh, so about a month from now, they'll release the numbers for January, and it will look like everything's dropped down to Trump levels, right? And it will technically right. be true because they took the, the excess numbers between Trump level and December's number, and they moved them into the legal system. Will you be able to tell us the real number? I hope so, but the problem is that I don't know where they're where they're keeping the how they're nobody knows how they're tallying these things. I see. Uh, they're bringing them right now. I, I do plan to put a FOIA in, and I have friends in Congress that are going to be demanding the numbers. So hopefully, uh, you know, and there is there is a, a statutory language that requires DHS to report uh, numbers. Uh, but this is all new territory. They they invented this system without any legal authority, without Congress, without with. I mean, they just came up with this thing. Um, a lot of uh, minds greater than mine are saying that it's illegal, and there is litigation about it. That you can't use humanitarian parole and just dish it out by the hundreds of thousands. It's a one-off kind mm-hmm. of thing. Somebody's sick at the border, and you let them in to get medical treatment. You don't just hand it out to um, a million and a half people. You know, that's not what it's yeah. for. So so the, the reporting requirement, I don't know what it is. If it falls under the normal legal admittance uh, program uh, requirements for reporting or what they plan to do. But somewhere, somebody's got these numbers. I guarantee you that they are keeping track of these numbers and it will be found. And reported. Well, I don't the think it's, it's publicly the question, reported. But the question is whether it's found in six months or a year, as opposed to month to month requirement. But let's play this out on on uh, live radio uh, for a second. If you could go back in time to the to let's say uh, six months before the Trump administration ended, and you said, "I want to get the numbers," they would give you the numbers. You get the monthly numbers that we just got the December ones. You'd say, "There's that." Was there a different number even at that time under the Trump administration? They may not have been using the uh, legal framework, the legal system, like the Biden administration is abusing it, but they probably were using it, right? So was that number? Yes. Could you, yes. So could you add those two numbers? You go back and do like what you call it. Let's call it a, a real border number for Trump. And you'd say it's the number released plus the, uh, the number in the legal framework, that number Adds up to X, and then you go forward to now. I'm trying to think of a way to uh, for, to ask a congressman yes, we, to, to to create the dynamic, and then and the, the congressman could have his staff go do the research on all the Trump numbers, and and all and probably maybe they could get the Biden numbers before they started loading the deck. The question will be: Can we see the loaded deck version that's going to be happening in January? Right. We might be able to divine. Uh, the change in general terms because the humanitarian parole numbers are reported in the Trump days and, you know, in past day in past administrations, those have been like a few dozen a year, right? Yeah. Uh, They're handing that stuff out by the hundreds of thousands now. So uh, we should be able to, but, but the problem is, is that it's not broken down by where they're entering. We want to know, you know, if the the numbers that are being allowed in over the ports of entry at the land borders. Uh, so they, they have the general number. And if we can't get a breakdown, we can at least start to see a big increase in the overall parole numbers. 
starting right about now, you know, right about like two weeks ago. Uh, so we should be able to kind of look at it and get a sense of it, but it won't be precise. Well, and and, 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 and if there's not a require, if there's not a requirement uh, right now, whether anyone likes it or not, there is this requirement report the December numbers. It ends up being something of a public thing. If there's not a requirement, you and I both know um, and, and a requirement in a significant way, it will be a, a very easy thing to fudge. Oh, we're working on that. We've got some delays in uh, turning in the reports. We'll we'll see. What yeah. we um, Todd, Todd, uh, yeah, we're Todd been around. <laughs> yeah. Todd, I know bureaucrats, bureaucrats and especially this issue. Todd Benzman is our guest. Again, the book is over. His new book is out next month, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, Post Hill Press. Um, Todd, uh, is it too cynical to say the following thing, that the, the change that the Biden administration has made not only created an ability to hide the ball on the numbers, because it will look like when they report the January numbers in about a month, it'll look like numbers are way down. Look, you know, we're being careful. And also, this is the cynical part, tens of millions of dollars will flow to the uh, nonprofits and non-government organizations that administer the legal framework of these migrants. And so this move is a massive uh, payout to left-leaning pro-immigration, pro-amnesty groups. Is that true? Oh, I lost you. I think I can't hear you there. Are you there, Todd? Man, that was such a good question, too. I think I lost him, Todd Benzman, uh, which is too bad. Yeah, it looks like I lost him. Okay, well, he's often on the border out on his cell phone, so we lost him there. That was a, a nice long interview anyway. We'll we'll get him back uh, and ask him that question uh, for another uh, day. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Heinous crimes of street violence unrelated to politics are occurring nearly everywhere as local law enforcement is understaffed to prevent or solve these crimes. The suspect in the recent killing at a Colorado Springs nightclub had been previously arrested for menacing with extreme violence, but he was released without punishment. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice looks for ways to charge criminals with hate or some other political spin. Obviously, there's a disconnect between the real heinous crimes that are occurring and the DOJ's targets of choice. The DOJ even lied in its rushed indictment of the intruder into Paul Pelosi's home, making the crime seem politically motivated on the eve of the midterm election, even as the body cam video contradicted the DOJ's court filing about the crucial detail of who opened the door at the Pelosi home. In announcing his candidacy for president, Donald Trump pledged that we will dismantle the deep state and restore government by the people. The timing of the deep state striking back with the appointment of a special prosecutor just a few days later is too close to deny the cause and effect. After all, the DOJ has already had two years to investigate the First Amendment activities of Trump supporters following the 2020 election. And if the Attorney General had anything legitimate to say about it, he should have said so long ago. Instead, Attorney General Merrick Garland apparently reacted to political pressure by those who want to stop Trump from winning re-election in 2024. Billions of dollars of the DOJ's budget is spent against conduct that most Americans don't consider criminal, such as fake environmental crimes like draining water on someone's own property. The DOJ has spent millions on prosecuting our own Border Patrol agents 
who try to apprehend illegal aliens. Donald Trump rightly brags about how he cut off funding of Central American countries until they agreed to take back their own gang members. The new Republican House should likewise stop funding the DOJ. Employing the power of the purse is the only way to keep the DOJ from flexing their power in purely partisan ways. The necessary reaction is no more extreme than the severity of the problem. It's time to defund the DOJ. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. You'll be glad to know the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly continues, upheld by Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Chairman Helen Marie Taylor, Treasurer John Schlafly, a full staff in St. Louis in our nation's capital, and thousands of citizen volunteers, her Eagles, across the country. You can be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, we lost uh, Todd Benzman for one moment, so but I got him back. I, I want to ask him this question. Todd, I, I started to ask you uh, this. Uh, is it too cynical to, a- to ask this question about the Biden administration uh, shift in how they count, not even how they count, how they handle uh, migrants uh, to the United States across the border, illegal immigrants, we'd call them, but, but because the shift that they've made, correct me if I get this wrong, the shift is, is um, they, in, they will report in in February, that in January, the numbers went down likely to Trump level. And they'll say, look, we're being uh, more more uh, tough on the border. We're, we're securing the border. What they've really done is moved a massive number of people into the American legal framework, the system that allows them to become migrants and, and get into our system, massively moving them in. And therefore, they're, they're accomplishing what they want, which is letting people in. But here's the cynical part. It's also a massive payout, isn't it? to the groups that manage all of those um, people. When you go as a, a migrant, an asylum seeker into the system, Catholic Charities, Lutheran Services, every uh, 501c3 NGO under the sun uh, uh, steps up to help, and they're all pro-immigration, pro-amnesty. So this is also a massive, massive uh, payment scheme towards left-leaning groups. Am I overstating that? I think you're you're precise and accurate on that. There is in this country a very significant what I call a, a migrant advocacy industrial complex, right? Of nonprofits and groups that quote resettle refugees that uh, get that that get hundreds of millions of dollars in government contracts to help the federal government bring these people in and get them settled and, um, you know, going forward for several years, actually, once they're already in the United States, legal services, uh, housing services, uh, services that involve uh, arranging for uh, public welfare and uh, support and, you know, pots and pans and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, and it's very significant. It's a, 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 a very vast constellation of groups and organizations. And if they're not getting, you know, defend, or if they're not getting contracts, they are using this to fundraise to help, uh, you know, them to, you know, carry out this, you know, critical human 
uh, humanitarian mission, right? Yeah. So, you know, kind of think uh, those those um, adopt a puppy commercials uh, that you see <laughs> on late night TV or right. kind of a thing. And it works. Well, but, but, so but Todd, but Todd I, I, I know, but I know, I know you're, I know you're, you're, I know you're right that they fundraise off of it. But, um, but I also know the federal government under this administration and with that Congress that just passed the 1.7 trillion, they funded all that stuff. They funded all that stuff to the tune of whatever they needed. They probably had a, whatever the, uh, in the federal level is the, you know, at the state level used to put an asterisk. You, you, they basically would fund as much as you need and they would there. It's as much as you, it's an as much as you need moment. Uh, and, and it's a massive transfer. I mean, the number of, uh, of transfers of wealth to the left-leaning groups, it's stunning. Anyway, well, Todd, I, I'm out of time. I, I'm, yes. I thank you for jumping back on. Uh, ToddBensman.com is his book. Uh, excuse me, is his website. Overrun is his book. Uh, Post Hill Press. Thanks, Todd, as always. Thank you much. All right. We'll take a break. Uh, we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm glad I uh, got that answer uh, out of him, and I'm glad we connected back up with him. Uh, he's the best. We'll be right back. Ed Martin. No, we won't be right back. We're done for today. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, as always, uh, to the great uh, Noah Dingley, our producer, and thank you to uh, Ryan Height uh, for associate producing, making sure we got all these guests lined up. Don't forget, you can visit ProAmericaReport.com, and you can click through there and listen to these segments again. Also, sign up for the daily email. Uh, there and uh, we'll talk tomorrow Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report talk to you then this is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary Flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost and covers the facts behind this scandal Flynn told the truth he was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.